May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We live in a culture that is permeated with the idea of progress. We love the idea of progress, progress, progress. And of course, progress is not necessarily a bad thing if you're going in the right direction. If you leave on a trip and you get on the right road headed towards your destination and you make progress, well, then you're getting closer to where it is you want to go. But if you get on the wrong road and you make progress down that road, then you're further from where you started. This was the whole point of Jurassic Park, wasn't it? The, the movie and the, and the novel. You know, we took so long asking whether we could, we never stopped to ask if we should. And of course, we shouldn't have. Now, before we go into progress, which I think figures prominently into our reading this morning, I think it's helpful to take a step back and look at how St. Paul talks to various congregations that he oversaw. Right? This past year, we've spent pretty much the whole year going through, um, through the epistle readings. And we've seen him address some parishes, sometimes very forthrightly, in order to rebuke them and exhort them. We can think about the Galatians, who had fallen prey to the false teachings of the Judaizers. And Paul has very, very strong words for that community. He also has very strong words for the Corinthian community, who had been beset by factionalism, internal divisions, and moral turpitude. Today's reading is the opening of his epistle to the Philippians, and we really don't see very much by way of rebuke here. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul is incredibly thankful for the Philippians and has nothing but good things to say to them and about them. Now, a while back, I preached a sermon about the plight of the Philippian church, and we looked at the historical context as to why that that church was facing um, heavy persecution. I'm sure everybody remembers that sermon very vividly, and that you'll be able to pass the quiz later on today. So I won't rehash all of the details, except to point out that the Philippian church, at the time that St. Paul wrote to them, was facing heavy persecution. No doubt because the area of Philippi was heavily nationalistic. It had been settled by those who had fought in the civil war between Octavius Caesar and Mark Antony and Cassius and Brutus after the assassination of Julius Caesar. And so as to thank all the veterans, they were given free land. The problem is that in Rome, the emperor was viewed as a god, right? So Caesar is Lord was common to hear among Roman citizens. And the Romans were okay if you worshiped uh, you know, a, a different god than they did, as long as you were willing to go along with their worship of the emperor. So it was really hard then to be a Christian in Philippi where you were expected to worship the emperor, to say Caesar is Lord, and then to say Jesus is Lord. And so, the, so Paul writes to the Philippians, not to rebuke them, but to encourage them. He's saying, you are doing a good job. You're making progress. Keep going, even though it's hard. So they're making progress. And all this talk of progress, we have to ask, what are the Philippians actually advancing towards? And by extension, we can ask ourselves, what are we actually advancing towards? Now, I think life is a circle. We spring into existence from the mind of God. He speaks and we are created. He sends us forth into the world. And the rest of our lives from that point on is about returning to him. And as Christians, we know that the path back to God is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who saves us and who shows us how to live. By following him as disciples, we become like our master. We hope, we pray, and we strive to return to God so that at the end of our lives, 
we hear those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And Paul, Paul is saying this in the opening verses of Philippians. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve all things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing that really grabbed my attention this week as I sat with and prayed through this text. As the Philippians made progress towards God, the same progress St. Paul praises them for, we don't see him let, the, let his foot off the gas when it comes to his prayers for their community. In fact, quite the opposite. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. Now we know St. Paul was a man who prayed and prayed a lot. So when he says this to the Philippians, he doesn't mean once in a blue moon when I happen to pray, I mention you in my prayers. He doesn't mean it in that kind of shallow way that we often say, oh, you're in my thoughts and prayers. No, he really and earnestly prayed for this community of Philippians. And I think that leads us to a general principle, one that we should take home with us today, which is the more that progress that we make in our spiritual lives, the more we need to pray. So the first question we should probably ask in light of that is what does it mean to make progress in our spiritual walk? How do I know I'm further along the road than I was one year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? How do I assess that? And I really think it's simple. I think we can just ask ourselves two questions. The first question is, am I sinning less? And the second question is, am I growing in virtue? Am I sinning less? Am I growing in virtue? Am I, by the grace of God, falling short less frequently? And in place of that failure, am I receiving and growing in healthier habits of soul through the grace that God gives me? In both the first question, which is a negative that involves purgation of sin, and in that positive aspect of acquiring virtue, prayer is always a necessary first step and a continual step. James 1.5 tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. And while St. James is talking specifically about wisdom, I think that applies to any of the virtues that we might be lacking. Ask, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Our prayer book says, God is always more ready to hear then we are to pray. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us that, you know, human parents, even the ones who are wicked, if their child asks them for food, they're not going to give them a rock or a scorpion. They'll give them a loaf of bread. So if a bad parent can do that, how much more does God our Father want to fill the hungry with good things? So we should be constantly asking ourselves, Am I sinning less? Am I growing in virtue? And we should always be praying for both. Yet the progress that we make in the Christian life requires action because God wants our participation. He wants our cooperation. He doesn't want us to be robots. He wants us to be fully human. The glory of God is the living man, St. Irenaeus said. When we cooperate with God, 
We will what's good. We obey him. We submit our lives to him. At the end of our reading this morning, Paul gives us that list of criteria that marks participation with God. Love abounds in knowledge and judgment. We approve things that are excellent. We're sincere and without offense. We're filled with the fruits of righteousness. But the thing about each of those things in that list is that they all take practice. And for some of us, it takes more practice than others, perhaps. But let's look at just the idea of being filled with fruits of righteousness. What does that mean? What does that look like? Undoubtedly, Paul has in mind the fruit of the Spirit here that he mentions in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and temperance. None of those things really happen naturally. That we exhibit any of these, is a, of these fruits is a gift from God, but they require us to build them up, to strengthen them. So if you want to be loving, that takes practice, real practice, because it, it involves loving even those who are not naturally lovable to you. That's hard. If you want to have joy, you have to intentionally choose joy. In all of your situations. That's why it's never a pat answer when St. Paul tells the Philippians, take joy in all things, even when the Romans are persecuting you, because that's what they were faced, up, faced with. If you want to be more long-suffering, eat peas with a knife. We could go on about developing each of these virtues, each of these fruits, but the point is that if we want them, we have to strive. We have to put in the ongoing effort. And our ability to do so is itself a gift. It's grace from God. And the beautiful part is that the more we do these things, the more we will what's good, the more we obey him, the more we become like him. And this leads us to the crucial question of the morning. Why does spiritual progress require us to pray more? You know, maybe you thought when I signed up for this, I was hoping the further I got, the less I'd have to pray. But there are, I think, a few reasons why a person who's actually grown in holiness has to pray more. The first is because the more we grow in holiness, the more we have to give of ourselves. This is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus tells his disciples. So this means if we want to progress, if we want to pick up that cross, we have to pray. It's going to require us to pray. The second reason that we have to pray more as we grow in holiness is that the holier we become, the more the devil will be inclined to attack us. When God and Satan are having their little uh, discussion at the beginning of the book of Job, who does Satan pick out to attack? Not Joe Schmo, some random you know, average person. He picks out the most righteous person on the face of the earth, Job. Because he knows if he can flip Job, if he can get Job to just reject God, well, that's going to be a bigger victory for him. And so the, the holier we become, the more of a target on our backs that we have. And so prayer is the most successful weapon that we have in those moments of spiritual warfare. And finally, a third reason why we have to pray more as we progress is that when we make progress as human beings... It's very, very easy for us to give in to that human proclivity toward pride. We buy into that myth of self-reliance. We begin to think things like, wow, I'm doing a really good job at becoming holy. I've got this righteousness thing down pat. Or we might think, man, I am the humblest person I know. 
Now, we may use this just to be impressed with ourselves. And when we do that, we'll, we'll always be disappointed. We'll be like Peter when he stepped out on the water and he began to sink because he forgot his dependence was on God the whole time, not himself. But we can also use pride as a really insidious way of looking down on others. Well, I have so adequately conquered my sins while my fellow parishioners are struggling with X, Y, or Z. Thank God I'm not like those other ungodly parishioners. But of course, both of these approaches are always wrong. Always wrong. It's important for us to remember, you know, God is not on the hook for anything wrong that we do, anything bad that we do. Um, When we sin, we can't say, God, you caused me to do this. No, he didn't cause you to do that, actually. You did that on your own. But every good thing that you have, every good thing that you've done is all because of God as the first and the final cause. Yes, he used you. Yes, you participated. But ultimately, it's because of him. And you're ultimately dependent on him. You cannot do good. You cannot do good without God. And the second we forget that, the second we get lulled into a false sense of self-sufficiency, the quicker it is that we fall. Pride goeth before the fall. Here's the sobering reality. A lot of people, a lot of people are going to hell, completely unaware that that is the trajectory they're on. Many, many people are trapped in cycles of sin where they're content to plateau in their pursuit of virtue and holiness. Rather than cooperate with God, they want to do their own thing. They want to give their lives over to some lesser pursuit, money, power, status, chasing a white ball around a field. And to accentuate the urgency that we have. Not only are we aware that we, we have to get this cooperation done now, this isn't something to, to put off, but there's also this added element that, that we have a responsibility that some people just don't have. Those of us who are here right now, those of us who have been baptized, those of us who have been raised in the church, those of us who attend church regularly, we know more than, the, than those who don't regularly darken the door of the church. And Because we have that knowledge, we have a higher responsibility. And what that means is that that progress in the Christian life has got to be our absolute and number one priority. We're not part-time Christians. We are full-time Christians. That is the most important thing about you. So progress requires us to be intentional about our cooperation with God because we're aware it doesn't happen overnight. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden you're super holy. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen as some sort of legal fiction where God just pretends he overlooks who we are, pretends we're actually righteous when we're not. We need to actively receive what God gives us so that we become like Christ. So in Philippians 1, I think Paul is right to pray for that maturing and progressing Philippian community. If they really were progressing, they probably need all the prayer they could get. And the same is true for us. The more progress we made, the more we need Holy Communion, the more we need to pray the daily office, the more we need to spend time in God through the scriptures and other ways. This task of progress can never, ever be separated from prayer. It's only possible when we're aware of just how profound our dependence on God is that progress of any kind becomes possible. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.